I'm uh, I'm I'm still very slightly mortified that I just barged in and sort of said hello. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed, we're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. I've said it before and I'll say it again, democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast. I'm James Lilacs, and still Peter Robinson and Rob Long. We've got Stephen Hayward and Charles C.W. Cook. Our guests, why ourselves? So let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 617. I'm James Lilacs, and I'm sitting in a dark room, rocking back and forth, my blue check clutched to my breast, telling it, It'll be all right. It'll be okay. I'll see you on the other side. I was thinking actually of printing off my blue check before it gets taken away by that, by that, that fascist. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, just so I can prove to the world that once I was, once there was a Camelot and I was at the round table with the rest of the clever kids. Not even a blue check. It's a blue thing with a white check in it. <clears throat> my guest, uh, not my guest, my co-host is usually going to be, you know, Rob Long, Peter Robinson. But they're off gallivanting about the world doing things. So we are lucky to have Steve Hayward. Stephen, Hello. Hi, James. It's great to be with you on this weekend. Always is. And, and uh, Charles C.W. Cook, uh, who I will always call Charles, even though Charlie is what he goes by, uh, will be along shortly. Are you a blue check, Stephen? You know, I am not. I've never decided to go for that pretentious nonsense. Oh, well, I feel so- seen and heard and felt, as they say. Um, uh, true, but you could probably get one. You could have presented your credentials and said, I am a member of the chattering class. My, my, my presence here should be verified because I have importance. People should look at what I see, note that small icon and adjust their interpretation of the world accordingly because a blue check, a blue check has spoken. Right. So I don't get it, but, uh, you may be content (laughs) with being influential every, and, and, you know, elsewhere. And that's fine. But Musk has caused the great nailing, wailing gnashing of teeth, rending of garments, because he's going to make people pay $8 to be verified. And what's more, it's going to seem as if anyone could get it. Anyone. That's just the point, I think, is that now anybody can do it. I I think if Musk really wants to be mischievous, he would offer red check marks. So you can have the red blue thing going, and that would make it even worse for the the precious blue, blue check marks amongst us. Um, well, no, they would instantly figure that their blue check mark being original and, and allied with the proper things would be a badge of courage, whereas the red stain of dishonor would it, would apply to those people who, who wanted one that, that showed their ideological flags. But that would be kind of nice to be able to see at a glance whether somebody is a collectivist or a you know, classical liberal, mm. but that's a lot to ask out of the world these days. Mm. Big, big story in the, uh, what is it, I think, uh, the Daily Fail in, in England, Charlie isn't here to roll his eyes visibly, audibly when I mentioned that paper. But, you know, they do have fun stuff talking about how people were waking up in London and their laptops were wiped. Their Slack was gone. Their Gmail was gone because they had been automatically remotely sacked, as they say, overnight. And that, of course, they're all having wailings and, and, and unhappiness and that the government is, 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 is talking about how perhaps they should get involved in this. I don't know how, 
But it's astonishing the number of people who work for that company. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I don't know why anyone should be surprised that this kind of thing is happening and happening more often, you know, people being deplatformed from pay, uh, PayPal. Uh, I thought that the warning flare of this was actually some years ago now, I think maybe as long ago as 15 years ago, when ironically enough, Amazon took down from the early Kindles, an edition of Orwell's 1984. There was some copyright problem they had. Right. And people woke up and found that their copy of 1984 was gone from their mm -hmm. Kindle. And you thought, how can they? What a oddly symbolic book for that to happen to, right? It was sort of perfect. But that was a, and now this is happening left and right. Uh, and it's often not a blanket thing like it was in that case where there was an actual legal problem at the base of it. But now it's, uh, you know, people who are guilty of wrong think. I well, the people who are being who are finding their laptops wiped are the people who are being let Hello. go by Twitter. But what I did I did I call on you? I did not call on you, Charles. I will in a second. <laughs> you can't just wander in and uh, put your hat on the rack and uh, we're, we're talking. Um, anyway, welcome, Charles. If you are indeed here and potted up and and wired in, are you with us? I am with you. I thought we were in a green room. Are we not? No, 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 no. This is the actual show. This is the, this is the equivalent of you wandering onto the t Tonight Show set while Johnny was talking with somebody and just uh, sort of taking your place on the uh, on the sofa, which would be fine. We were talking about the, the the strange poetry of Amazon a few years ago, reaching out and remotely wiping 1984 from people's Kindles. And I think that Amazon should have just not done that because it's too on the nose. It's just, it's just yeah. too perfect to memory hold the book, but yeah. So that leads. Okay. So we have three things on the table right now. We have the, the despair of the chattering classes over the future of Twitter, which is the most important thing in the world. We have the example of a text tech, company that might be a tad too top heavy. And we have the argument for physical media. And I think we could probably spend the rest of the show on just those three. But Charles, I'll throw those in your lap. Welcome back. And uh, tell me which one of those little uh, biscuits you'd like to gnaw on for a while. Ooh, well, either the future of Twitter or the importance of physical media, I think. Do I need your permission as to which one I choose or can I just go? Uh, no, at this point, I'm going to uh, stop being so passive aggressive and just uh, let, let you. You're on the sofa now. Johnny's uh, looking at you and uh, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I find myself in an odd position with Twitter in that I'm wildly amused by the mass hysteria that Musk's takeover has provoked, but I also am not particularly impressed by what he has done or proposed since he took over. So I suppose I'm just at this point what don't you like? Twitter. What don't you well, like? I don't like the $8 a month for verification idea. And no, it's not because all my self-worth is tangled up in my blue check. It's because I don't think it solves anything, except insofar as it provides a means by which he can torment journalists and politicians, which I mm -hmm. have been enjoying. Mm -hmm. If it is a trolling exercise, I'm in favor of it. If it's a fundraising exercise, I'm in favor of it. If it's a serious attempt to remedy what's wrong with Twitter, it won't work. It won't work to bring about either of the changes that he said he wants to see. One is that everyone in the world is verified. That's what he said six months ago. But you can't do that at eight 
dollars a month. And the other is that it gets rid of the lords and peasant aspect, which is real in that mm-hmm. you can't get a blue check unless you're famous, but is not solved by charging people $110 a year to be verified in the middle of a recession and massive inflation. So right. I'm completely baffled as to what he thinks he's achieving here. And I can only assume there's something else that he hasn't announced yet or I've missed because I don't see how that improves anything. I think it's a troll. I I actually do. I think that he's saying this is so important to you. Well, if it's so important, it's surely worth the cost of one of your fancy little lattes. So pony up um, and making them squeal because of it. But I may be wrong. Stephen, do you think it's a troll? Do you think it's fundraising? Do you think it's all of the above? And uh, and again, we have to get back to the impact on the real world. This well, is right. Well, who knows about Musk? I mean, you know, I, I was long a skeptic of Tesla and I've been proven wrong on that. He really did make that thing go. Uh, I think it's mostly a troll. I, I think my favorite aspect of all this is all the people saying, I'm leaving Twitter, which has become the new, I'm moving to Canada. Trump wins the election. And so people are posting, I'm leaving Twitter. And then they stay on Twitter to see how the reactions go to all that. And so we will see how many people actually leave Twitter. I think it's another one of these great moments of, of virtue signaling and breast beating by the left who, let's face it, they prize Twitter. I don't know, Charlie, if anyone's ever done a study of this, but my perception is uh, the the people on the left, I think we do have some studies of this. The people on the left dominate Twitter. They have way, way more followers than people like you and I do or people on the right. Uh, there are more blue check marks amongst them, and that's a big deal for them all. Um, so they're being offended they've lost their sandbox and that Trump talks back to them. And, and maybe, last point I'll make on this, you really saw it in action this week when the White House foolishly sent out a tweet saying Social Security recipients are getting the biggest raise in uh, cost of living increase in years because of Joe Biden's leadership. And Twitter attached a fact check to this saying, well, actually, it's from a law that Richard Nixon signed 50 years ago that happens automatically. And And the White House took it down. But I believe that the reason that Twitter appended that was because people were responding to the tweet with that very fact. In other words, Twitter itself up in the boardroom didn't look at this and say, hmm, Biden is not being technically correct here in our new role in moderating the public debate. We should say something. I think it was it was it was a ground up thing, which, which which I like. Yes and no, in that the system that was used to fact-check the president is called, I think, Birdwatch. Mm-hmm. And it was launched a year and a half ago by the previous Twitter major domo. And it is user-generated, but it has, at least as far as I can see, never been utilized before by the people who decide what gets fact-checked and what doesn't. So even though there was all sorts of input for Biden tweets before this, none of them ever got featured. And all of a sudden, this does seem to be a change from Musk. All of a sudden, Biden and Dick Durbin, I saw yesterday with his incorrect First Amendment claim, are being fact-checked. So that is Mm -hmm. a a change from on high. And I should say, having said, I haven't been too impressed that I like that one a lot. Indeed. I mean, the first time that Biden gets fact-checked by Birdwatch is like the first time that somebody boos during a Ceausescu speech. Exactly. <laughs> it's the moment that starts it, that starts everything else in action. I think we won't take that to its logical conclusion. No, <laughs> no, no, no. And Biden is not Ceausescu to state the bleedingly obvious. But when I was looking through the piece in the Daily Mail, sorry, Charles, we were referring to this before you got here, about the British tech workers who are being laid off by this. I can't tell them what we would tell them in the States, which is learn to well it seems to me that there was very little not a lot of angst amongst the chattering classes when the keystone was 
Mm. was canceled and a number of workers no longer found employment. I was looking at how many people were supposed supposedly lost their job when Keystone was canceled again and again. And 11,000 was the fact checking and the fact checking said, well, it's <clears throat> 11,000 is what they're saying, but many of those jobs are actually temporary. And I thought, Re- really, you mean when you get a job building a pipeline, it's not an infinite thing that where you just go around and around the world. Of course it's temporary, but it's still good money for a lot of people for a lot of time. Uh, and nobody cared about that because those were dirty jobs doing evil things, which mm. is transporting hydrocarbons. Uh, the, the people who, who are being laid off on Twitter have no uh, belly feel, shall we say, uh, unbelly feel for the people who work with their hands and rivet things and weld things and get dirty and live in camps. They're the important ones because they are saving our democracy, which leads us to the next thing, gentlemen. It seems to me that everything's on the line next Tuesday. And by everything, I mean that if things go the wrong way, my children, my child, my, you know, my daughter's 22, Charles, your children, I think is a better example because they're younger, are probably going to be put in camps and shot. Unless, <laughs> of course, you do something to save our democracy and prevent them from their imminent uh, interment in a mass grave. You both know what I'm talking about, right, Stephen? Yes. Charles? Yes. Right. Somebody, uh, yeah, wanted, yeah, so- somebody want to describe what he said? Yeah, so Michael Beschloss, who I've always thought was a mediocre historian and very puffed up because he gets on TV a lot, and he went on a rant on, I guess it was MSNBC, Charlie, I think, where he said, ah, you know, if this election goes wrong, which really this is the pre-election, pre-criminations, primal scheme of the left uh, starting early, uh, he said something like, you know, our our children are at risk. They might even be lined up and shot or words to that effect. Uh, I think he put this in a larger context. I think the worst thing that, well, it's hard to say what the worst thing is, but one of the very bad things that happened to Joe Biden when he took office is he allowed uh, a circle of historians, Beschloss, uh, what's his name, John Meekham, who's apparently writing some of these dreadful speeches, Doris Kearns Goodwood, the usual crowd of celebrated lightweight liberal historians came to the White House over and over again, telling him that with a Congress with really no majority at all, you can be the next FDR. Well, tell that to an egomaniac like Biden. And I think he has followed their bad advice and puffed him up with their patina of intellectual seriousness. And now that it's all going wrong, poor Beschloss has just blown every gasket he's got left. You know what I like the most about this? It's that as a habit, Bachelos always says, I don't really get involved in politics. I'm just a historian. <laughs> and then he explains that if it's really serious, he might make a comment. And I just love the space between, I don't really talk about politics and your children will be shot and put in camps. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is an acceleration from zero to a hundred of a <laughs> quite remarkable quality. Right. Can I just add, James, that, uh, you, you know, the, the angst of what's coming Tuesday uh, for the left, uh, this is my favorite 72-hour period ever, because, you know, this weekend is when conservatives literally get to turn the clock back. And then if you listen mm-hmm. to the left, we get to do it all over again on Tuesday. It's seldom <laughs> we get the, uh, the double play like we have in front of us uh, here in the next week. Well, what are we turning the clock back to exactly? Um, what patina or patina, you say patina, I say patina. I, what are we turning it back to? Which particular era? When you mentioned that uh, they tell him that he could be another FDR, they were saying the same thing about Obama with a mm-hmm. famous Time magazine cover of him sitting in the back seat with a jaunty smile, do, reprising the uh, famous FDR photograph, except, of course, they had to take out the cigarette holder because we have to airbrush that out of history completely. But if they want to be, I mean, who wants to be exactly 
the next FDI. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to arbitrarily set gold prices based on the horoscope that I read today. I'm going to institute a whole bunch of laws which are going to be tossed out by the Supreme Court as, as unconstitutional restraints on trade. I'm going to put a whole bunch of people into camps. That I'm going to do. I mean, FDR, we can argue about his legacy, but aren't there better examples, perhaps, that the Democrats might go? You can be the next JFK, I would think, would work better because... It's sort of absurd to say that somebody of Joe Biden's age could be somebody who projected that youthful vega. But JFK is a lot more present in the American imagination, mm. space, victory, all those things. And by victory, of course, yeah, I know we can debate. But it, wouldn't that be better to do that? I mean, do, you, do either of you guys want an FDR back again? Would you go in and tell the president you can be the next FDR? Well, as a fervent anti-New Dealer, I can't think of much worse than having another <laughs> Franklin Roosevelt. And the two they always pick are the two people I don't want. Add, you know, SLBJ and FDR. Add Wilson in, and you've got a, a trio of uh, undesirability from my perspective. But Charles, you Whatever. understand, FDR saved the country. The New Deal saved the country, did it not? Did it well, not prevent yeah. us from tipping into fashion? Did it not get us out of the Depression? Come on. What, what sort of red state mega ultra revisionist is this? It's mega, <laughs> mega trickle down. Coming mega, from mega me trickle today. down. Mega, mega trickle down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I think the question, James, is uh, can, and I think people will be raising this um, Wednesday morning, can Biden be Bill Clinton? We all remember now that Bill Clinton pivoted on a dime after the Democrats got hammered in 1994. Uh, he triangulated as the saying goes and then was reelected two years later when everyone thought he was doomed. Uh, and then uh, Obama did much the same thing after the 2010 drubbing the Democrats took, the shellacking, as he put it. Now, of course, both Clinton and Obama were much more talented politicians than Biden is or ever was. So I'm doubtful that he'll be able to change direction. Uh, for one thing, uh, as is known, Bill Clinton had the sinister Dick Morris around him to advise him to move to the center and ways to play off against Republicans. I don't see a Dick Morris figure lurking in the background of the Democrats these days. Uh, the White House seems to be run by these young millennials uh, who are so deep into the progressive Kool-Aid that their message is going to be the one you'll hear from Bernie Sanders and AOC, which is we lost this election because we weren't left enough. We didn't run on big tax increases on the rich. We didn't pass a $4 trillion spending bill. Mm -hmm. So I think that instead of um, the shell-shocked Democrats giving Clinton some running room, as you saw in the 1990s, I think the progressive left is going to double down. And we'll just sit back and eat our popcorn if we can still find it at a reasonable price. Charlie, you're smiling. <laughs> no, I just like the reasonable price line. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have noted that it's going up along with everything else, and it's made our Christmas shopping a little bit uh, difficult this year. Popcorn. Luckily, we're at the point with our family where we don't really exchange a lot anymore because we have everything, and we're, you know, it's, you know, when you're a kid, the tree is just heaped with gifts, all kinds of ridiculous plastic tritus shipped out of China. But uh, as more you age, some socks, some scarves, and the rest of it, it's just being together is enough. The holidays, you know, they're really most exciting time of the year. And if you want to enjoy them the fullest, you'll need to get your best sleep every night. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. And it's easier to sleep well. It's easier than it sounds. All you need are the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bold and Branch. Bold and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on the planet. They make a difference you can truly feel night after night. And as I say every week when I do this, I'm here to 
tell you that it is true. With every washing, the sheets get better. I don't know how. I said one day they 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 feel like silk and they wear like iron. That's basically it. Bowl and Branch products are made differently so you can sleep better at night. They're made from the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. And they're free from toxins, pesticides, and harsh chemicals at every step of the making. And they're made by artisans who earn the pay and respect that they deserve. If you want to simplify your shopping, their signature sheets come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. Trust me on this. It's like unboxing an app product. And so your gifts will look as special as they feel. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch bedding. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code ricochet at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. Promo code ricochet. And we thank Bowland Branch for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, yes. So we'll enjoy uh, what happens. We'll enjoy the pivot. I don't know. I think Stephen's correct that they have people who will double down. And because to do otherwise is to frankly, is to trade with evil. To do otherwise is to destroy our democracy, to destroy the planet, to give uh, racism and, and, and fear and bigotry and all of these things uh, prominence. You can't equivocate with evil. And since the other side, uh, e.g. us, believes in all of these revanchist ideas, how can you compromise with people who believe what we believe? That's the fun that we're having. I was watching a blowout on Reddit the other day that was interesting. They were absolutely flummoxed that Muslim parents in Dearborn mm. and Ham, Ham Tramp, which I can never pronounce, were upset with the school board and were partnering with Christian parents and Republicans to do something about uh, sex manuals in the middle school. And people were saying, how can they, wait, wait a minute, how can they, how can they make a, a coalition with these people? They hate them. They hate them. They want them all to leave. A, no. B, no. C, Sometimes you need these temporary uh, little uh, groups in order to get a point across. And so what's the harm? They, it, it flummoxed them that this group, which they identified as a identity group, was not performing the way identity groups are supposed to do. Right. Oh, James, you have just pushed one of my hot buttons this week. Oh, good. Uh, I'm starting to call this the desperate housewives election. And the reason I say that is the Wall Street Journal poll that came out early in the week that had one really stunning finding, which was that suburban women have since August moved 26 points into the Republican camp. That seems beyond the margin of error of a you know an, a, a, an oddball outlier poll. And That's there's some an other absolute, poll- an absolute lie. They lost 30 percent because of abortion. We all know. We <laughs> of all course. know that. Well, the, the, the journal scratches its head and says, uh, well, gosh, it seems like inflation and crime are being prioritized now. And that's explained. And Dobbs, the reaction to Dobbs has faded. That seems to me uh, correct, but not persuasive when you think about it for a while. Inflation and crime were just as bad in August as they are now. Uh, I think what's going on is something the pollsters are not asking about. You know, I'm kind of a maven for polling techniques and data and all the rest and complain about them like everybody. But I noticed in the issue panels where they, they spoon feed you the choices of what are the most important issues, uh, questions about COVID and the COVID lockdown hangover are conspicuously missing, as are questions about these controversies about what is being taught in the schools. Uh, Tudor Dixon, uh, the person running against Whitmer, brought this up in the debate this week, as is Paula Page in Maine, who's trying to get his job back as the governor of Maine, talking about some of these uh, really obscene books that are in schools. I, I'm, it's polling malpractice. We know this was a big issue in the election a year ago with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. 
We saw the the big furor. In fact, I talked about it once time uh, previously with you, James. Uh, it is uh, it, they had this the "Don't Say Gay" bill, as the left called it in Florida, uh, which became this national sensation. And when polled in Florida, found that a majority of Democrats supported DeSantis's position. Right. So I think this is an issue that's bubbling up. Um, you know, Charlie, your late great colleague Cato Byrne used to like to point out to survey data showing that women pay closer attention to local issues and school issues than men voters do. We're not supposed to say that, of course, but I think she's right. And I think an awful lot of suburban moms, uh, now that the kids are back in school and they're paying attention to what they've been taught, and and some Republicans are making an issue of this when the pollsters and the media ignore it, I think this is the sleeper issue in the campaign. There's so many issues. I To, to mix cliches, and then I'll stop, um, is we, this year has a perfect storm of tipping points against the Democrats. So it's, it's, <laughs> hard to pick any, it's hard to pick any one issue and say this is the issue that tips it. But I think this huge move in this one key segment that we've seen, I think this issue is the sleeper issue that's driving a lot of it. And if you combine it with latent anger over covid yes and school lockdowns what you get is people saying wait a minute you didn't educate my children now they're back at school they're learning this yes and i I have a real problem with some of the critiques of this anger that you see from the left and also from some libertarians and i i lean libertarian on a whole bunch of issues i'm more of a classical liberal but you know this is not an anti-libertarian point i am one in most ways but you just can't apply the sort of uh, free speech absolutist uh, value neutral approach that I would in almost every other circumstance, especially where the government is involved, to schools that teach minors. I mean, I, I, I am a little confused, I suppose, in my thinking as to how this should be on college campuses, and so I'm always open to debates on that. But much of the language that we see uh, from people who are criticizing people such as DeSantis or Tudor Dixon is just wrong. I mean, for example, if a school declines to teach a book or put a book in its library, that is not banning a book. If a school consults with a school board or is directed by the legislature that created the school and funds it, that is not government intrusion. It is not, you know, state overreach. And uh, I think that the the intellectual framework that many of the people who seem perplexed by this development in public life have brought to it is serving them badly. Of course, parents are going to be involved and want to be involved in the education of their children. Of course, they're going to care what they're being taught. Of course, they're going to care which values are being transmitted. Now, I understand that on the merits there are some bad ways to teach. For example, the straw man criticism that you see, which is conservatives just don't want to talk about slavery. Although that's actually not true, if it were true, and in such cases as it is true at the margins, that is a problem. If there are people out there in America who say, I don't want my kids to learn about slavery, I don't want my kids to learn about the internment camps in the Second World War, that is bad. I'm opposed to that. I want all of that stuff taught. But that is a question 
of substance. We've already conceded the premise, right, when we've got there, which is we're going to have a conversation as parents and as voters as to how the schools are run. And I see this very weird approach, and it really cost Terry McAuliffe, particularly in, in Virginia, which is, well, why are you interfering with the teachers' units in their, in their judgment? And this is, I think this is going to change because it's, it's as you've said, it's absolutely catastrophic for the Democratic Party, and I think it's going to continue to be. Yeah, I mean, the, my footnote to that, Charlie, is uh, it, it's, first of all, it's utter fertilizer, as Ronald Reagan used to say, uh, that we don't teach about slavery and the legacy of racism in the country. I learned it in my very conservative Republican schools right. 50 years ago. Uh, what we don't want is, we don't want that Howard Zinn version of American history taught exclusively. The Howard Zinn version is that the 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 defects of America are the whole of America. And that is, and that is now orthodoxy among the educational left, which means most of the education establishment. That's what we're against. And I I think uh, a lot of non-ideological parents are against it. Proof in point being, I think, and this you talk about it's not a canary in a coal mine. This should have been the Claxons nationwide. San Francisco, as we know, six, eight months ago, recalled San Francisco, recalled by a landslide, three uber-woke members of their own school board who were more concerned about renaming Abraham Lincoln High School because he's defective, of course, uh, instead of getting the schools reopened again. And when that happens in San Francisco... I'm amazed that people aren't, uh, uh, you know, the political <laughs> establishment aren't paying closer attention to that. It's to their, uh, it doesn't work well for them if they do. <laughs> right. I'm going to barge in here and I know you're going to kill me for doing this, but uh, I don't care. I don't care if you do because my family's covered because I've got insurance. Well, I'd rather you wouldn't. There's probably double indemnity clauses and stuff like that. And then <clears throat> uh, insurance, life insurance. I'm joking about it because we hate to talk about it, right? We all hope we never need life insurance, but mortgage payments and childcare and other expenses do not disappear when you're gone. No, life insurance through your workplace, well, that's great, but it might not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age, uh, now, now is the time to buy. Probably yesterday, but if not yesterday, now. Policy Genius gives you a smarter way to find and buy the right coverage for you and your family. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential. In just a few clicks, you'll find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. And Policy Genius has licensed agents who will help you find options that offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They're not incentivized to recommend one insurer over the other, so you can trust their guidance. There are no added fees, and your personal info is always private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones, they deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find it and buy it. So head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And we thank Policy Genius for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Going on, I'm just trying to think of something. Because what Stephen was talking about, the social issues, right? The fact that the COVID. We are told now through an Atlantic magazine that it's time to forgive. And when that article hit about how it's time for just sort of a COVID amnesty, all I could think of was Michael Palin 
in the Monty Python movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Slaughter, saying, Let's not bicker about who, who killed, killed who. who. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it's important. And I, th- I think, no, we, we, we do need to bicker. Actually, we do need to have a reckoning. We, and, you know, some people want trials, which we're not going to have, but we knew, do need a full accounting and an airing of this. You can't just plaster this over. You can't just bind the you can't pour super glue in the wound and squeeze it and say that's it we're done we're healed but we're not going to get that are we gentlemen i'm sorry some people were saying that if the republicans took power again in uh, in the midterms you're going to see trials of public health officials hmm. and what they're seeing of course is like a, a hitler style thing where they're let out immediately afterwards and strung up with piano wire or a soviet show trial where people are forced to confess that yes i did and in, in thought and deed consort with the uh, proles in the prostitute sector and uh, spread the word of goldstein they, that's what they think trials would be i think impaneling people to really look at what we knew and what was said and who was saying it and why is a healthy thing isn't it Oh, absolutely. I, I would like to see, uh, as I call him, J. Edgar Fauci hauled before Congress for extensive cross-examination. Uh, I think there ought to be uh, oversight hearings where you have some of our, I say our best people, the people who I think have been fully vindicated, like Jay Bhattacharya like and Scott mm-hmm. Atlas and um, and Kevin Roach. There was your neighbor in Minnesota, James. Uh, and I, they've been right from the beginning and right all the way along, and they ought to have a bright spotlight sh- uh, shown on them. Uh, among other things that a Republican Congress ought to do in, in uh, as part of an oversight agenda. I was reading a tweet the other day, and perhaps Charles, you can you saw this as well, where somebody was saying, "Well, we've as part of the amnesty package, we've said, okay, um, we'll forgive a lot of the stuff that happened at the beginning because we really didn't know. We were scared, and we really didn't know. And what this tweet thread did was show that we knew." We absolutely knew. We knew very early that there was evidence contrary to all the things that we were being told. And like I say, I've never believed that this is a great reset conspiracy. I believe this is agencies doubling down and trying to cover their ass for a variety of reasons. Um, In the case of Fauci, I think it's because there's questions about the funding of the Wuhan lab. There's questions about gain-of-function research that we're supposedly not doing but did, etc. But I don't think it's been evil. I think it's been just basic human perfidy in its, in its, in its mistake-making and ass-covering form all this time. But there was a list of all the things that we did indeed know what, lock, what the effect of lockdowns would be economically, socially, on children, what the effects of sending them to Zoom school would be for those who didn't have the resources, what the, what the inefficaciousness of masks would do, et cetera. The transmission was not what we thought it was. The fomites weren't actually what we thought it was. All of this stuff we knew. And yet we launched into this fortnight to slow the spread, which became an interminable mm-hmm. update until n- nine months later after this in the in summertime, I'm standing outside of the neighborhood hardware store, unable to go inside and look for a screw <clears throat> hardware store, mind you, the, because you had to stand apart from one another with your mask in which somebody with a mask would go into the deep recesses of the store to try to find the exact little piece of metal that you wanted, then bring it out to you to compare. It was just nonsense theater that affected every area of our life and made i mean i sit right now in a skyscraper that is largely empty because of this bs i walk streets down there that are largely empty and unsafe to a certain degree because of this so we're still dealing with all of that there's the idea that we should just shrug our shoulders and say well you know you know six one half dozen of the other had to happen is nonsense but i don't know what the i i I don't know what it's going to take to make me feel less angry 
about what we did voluntarily and involuntarily. Well, Charles, Charles probably feels different because you're in Florida, the free state of, right? <laughs> I certainly had a different experience than you and most other Americans. I think it was a shame that that piece was written by Emily Austin because right, people thought that she was one of the great villains of this when she wasn't. And wasn't. Yeah. her editors did her a great disservice. They, they, it, it, it should have read the headline, you know, I was repeatedly vilified and received death threats. I want to forgive everyone. Um, instead, it made it look as if she was sort of saying, I, Anthony Fauci, would, would like uh, an amnesty. Um, that said, I just think she's wrong on the merits. Um, but you, you don't demand forgiveness for a start. Um, more to the point, there have to be changes made here. Now, one of the changes that is going to be made, I think, is that the Democrats are going to get absolutely crushed in the midterm elections. And once that has happened, maybe people will be in more of a mood uh, to forgive uh, because there will have been consequences for the thing that they're forgiving until then though, they're not going to be in that mood and they shouldn't be asked to be in that mood. I would go one step further and say the elections in and of themselves will not be enough. We need to see people resign, lose their jobs. We need to see people change uh, the way that some of our institutions work so that next time this doesn't happen. Uh, it's not good enough just to say, oh, well, I guess we got that wrong. Please, will you forgive me? It needs to be accompanied with, and here are the decisions that we will take next time. Here are the alterations and reforms that we are going to make within the federal government, within this or that state government. Um, until that point, I think people are absolutely within their rights to say no. If you're still there, if you're still getting paid, if you're still in a position of responsibility, we're going to keep throwing rotten vegetables at you. Uh, because the the consequences here were absolutely catastrophic. They were catastrophic economically. They were catastrophic educationally. Um, you know, it, there are subtler parts of this, as you said, James. I mean, look at uh, where you are. Look at your building. Look at the, the streets outside. Look at how many of the restaurants, small thing, that I used to go to when I lived in New York City are just not there now. It's I mean, not this a is small a, thing. It's not no, a small it, thing. It's the it, warp and woof of, of a city. Right, yeah. right. Um, I, I more meant it's a small thing that I can't go to the restaurants oh. that I used to go to. But it's not a small thing for the people who own them um, or who relied upon them. And it's just not good enough. Again, Emily Oster is not the villain here, but it is just not good enough to say, let's have an amnesty. Uh, it, it's self-serving um, and it's premature. Until we see electoral consequences and more concrete consequences, then no, you can shove your amnesty. So what you're saying then is you want to see people die. No. What you're saying, then, you're saying then you would have been happy with a death toll that was 10 times as much. You can't see a downside to any of this. But hey, folks, I'm going to tell you about something that is an upside, <laughs> an upside to the times in which we live. Can you possibly think of one? Well, yes, because we're here at Ricochet. We are we are we are optimistic by nature because we love America. And that's the essential beating heart of the country. But still, you know, you go to the pump, you fill up, you cringe. And then you get an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, if it's still around. Inflation, inflation, inflation. It's hitting us all where it hurts. And it really hurts. And that's why you need to start using upside. 
Upside is an incredible app for anybody who's by gas or grocery or just dines out. With every purchase, you earn cash back thanks to Upside. So the app's really easy to use, um, which goes without saying, because if it was tough, nobody would use it. So they designed something that's really easy and seamless. And you look at what you're getting back and think, what am I going to do with this? I could splurge it on myself. I could get some ice cream like Nancy Pelosi has in her massive freezer. Well, (laughs) what counts is you got to get started to start getting the money. Download the free Upside app. Use the promo code RICOCHET and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Look at that. Download the app. Five bucks. Wow. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. You check in at the business. You pay as usual with your credit or your debit card, and then you get paid. You get paid. In comparison with credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn up to three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. And I have my little finger up against my mouth like Dr. Evil. A million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating in the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code RICOCHET to get $5 or more off cash back in your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back in your first purchase of $10 or more using the promo code Ricochet. And we thank Upside for sponsoring this, the Ricochet podcast. So Stephen, before we go on to something else, because we should talk about inflation, the effect that has in the, the election, uh, any thoughts about what Charles was saying there? I, I mean, yes, we in a functioning, healthy society, we would have these things. But the other side is so invested in the idea of the wisdom of technocratic rule and the infallibility of science, science, that, uh, <laughs> right. to, to, to do what Charles is suggesting would delegitimize the very institutions in which their power resides, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, see, uh, you, you made the point that, uh, well, I'll restate it this way. There's an old saying attributed to various people that you don't need to recur to mendacity or conspiracy theories when simp- when stupidity can explain a situation adequately. Uh, there's nothing more stupid than our bureaucracies, and it's not because the people there aren't smart. It's not because Fauci, for example, I'll I'll be slightly nice to him, doesn't actually know some things, uh, but it's because bureaucracies tend to become single-minded and fanatical in their purpose, and all bureaucracies, whether it's CDC or EPA or name name anyone you want, uh, they are congenitally unable to weigh trade-offs. So in this case, you were yelling into the hurricane to say, wait a minute, if you keep kids out of school for years, there's going to be a high cost and lost learning. Uh, if you uh, tell people they have to be locked down and can't go to their doctor, you're going to see increases in other diseases. You know, cancer rates are up because people aren't getting screenings and so forth. Those kinds of trade-offs uh, exist across the board. H- how do you try and fix this in a bureaucracy? It's very difficult. You can put in some better bureaucrats, I suppose. I keep thinking, uh, and I've thought about this a lot, the area of climate change and a few others, we need to emulate more widely across government the famous Team B experiment of the CIA from the mid-70s. I don't know how many listeners know of this episode, but there was a lot of commotion um, uh, among uh, uh, you know, the Reaganite circles, really. Team, who B, said, team, the, team B is a, is a cover story for Team C, but, you know, so I, okay. I, know, I know a little bit about <laughs> right. this, but do go well, on. Well, right. It, it, the thought was is that the CIA is continually misestimating Soviet uh, arms buildup and, and Soviet activities. And the CIA, under then-director George H.W. Bush, said, fine, we're going to give the same raw intelligence to a whole separate outside group of experts to do their own assessment. And Team B came back and, in one sentence, humiliated Team A, the the CIA insiders, and made a big difference in intelligence. So the point is competition. I don't know if it means we need to parallel CDC. I think that just becomes another bureaucracy. But we need to think some way of institutionalizing 
And by the way, this was done under the Reagan years in the Office of Management and Budget. And this is getting a little wonky, but it's very limited. We need to do more of that kind of bringing competitive criticism to bear on our government agencies. End of rant. <laughs> and good it is. And I'd love to see it. We would all love to see it, but it seems to require a change in the culture. Yeah. Um, and w- the question is, everybody fears that we're going to get a red wave and they're going to go in and um, they're going to do what everyone has thought they have done before, which is little, nothing structural, no swamp draining. Of course, there's only so much so, so much they can do. Um, or get along to get along, you know, go along to get along, whatever. Spinelessness. Well, supine supine behavior before the inexorable march of the left through the institutions. Maybe standing athwart of this or that for five minutes before allowing it to creep forward a millimeter or two, as it always does. That's not an unreasonable fear. I mean, when the sort of thing that we're talking about here is is what you a healthy, self-regulating society that believed in itself would do. Well, and I wonder if we have that in us still. Yeah, I think there are. Uh, I mean, you're said, the guy who right. just, said the guy who just said we were opt- I, we were optimists. Yeah, well, I mean, you're quite right to be skeptical and cynical about the capacities of uh, the Republican Party, the stupid party, as the old joke goes, uh, to do anything effective. But there are a couple of exceptions that we ought to recall from the distant past and try and emulate them. And one's actually quite current again. Back in the 90s, you might remember James, I think it was Senator Roth of Delaware, who held some spectacular hearings with lots of show business involved. Mm -hmm. This is an important point about abuses from the Internal Revenue Service. And one of the climactic hearings that got on the evening news was when they had a witness come out behind a screen with a voice box scrambling the voice, explaining how the IRS agents really were you know, violated the law and invaded people's privacy. You know, we had that leak last year of uh, somewhere in the IRS, uh, the tax returns of you know Elon Musk and uh, Peter Thiel and a lot of very wealthy people that's supposed to be against the law. Still, nobody has been held responsible for that. I think uh, that kind of hearing against the IRS could be run again, especially since we're going to add 80,000 agents, supposedly, uh, uh, and and other agencies, the CDC and all the rest. Uh, I think, uh, again, I do think that there is an element of show business about this, and that's why the House Republicans ought to hire Rob Long as their consultant. Could be done. Charles, do you think it's wise for the Republicans to make hay about the recent revelations that that Facebook, Meta, Google... Twitter, we're working hand in glove, it appears, with government agencies to be to 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 tamp down dis, mal, and misinformation. Yes, because I think this is the sweet spot. I am, as your listeners will know, and uh, many of them seem irritated by this, a defender of Section 230. I think Section 230 is one of the best laws we've ever passed. I think most of the criticism of Section 230 is wrong. I actually think Ricochet relies very heavily on Section 230 and um, would be much diminished if Section 230 were removed. So I am the guy who says free market, free market, free market, uh, Section 230, First Amendment, freedom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I will not and cannot tolerate and don't regard it as being tolerable for the government to start getting involved in the censorship process. If uh, the moderators at Ricochet or the owners of Facebook or Elon Musk at Twitter wants to get rid of me because I'm annoying, fine. His company, <laughs> his website. I don't think that this is a public utility. I don't think this is a national forum or a town hall. It's a website. It's a website with private owners protected under the First Amendment and with the civil and criminal liability rooted properly by Section 230. 
But that is very, very, very different from saying that governments can start putting pressure on these institutions. Governments, by the way, that regulate them, not Ricochet, but Facebook and Twitter. And I support uh, any law that either uh, renders that illegal or requires transparency. Uh, Marco Rubio has a really good bill on this that has gone nowhere, but that should go somewhere, uh, which would make it illegal for uh, any government official, and that includes legislators, to communicate with moderation teams at Twitter, Facebook, social media in general, without disclosing it. Um, you can say, if you're Jen Psaki or Karine Jean-Pierre, you can say, hey, Twitter, we think you should get rid of this post from uh, Ron DeSantis, or we think you should put a misinformation label on this claim by Kevin McCarthy. But if you do that, under Rubio's bill, it has to be disclosed. In other words, the public has to know what pressure the people with bayonets are bringing to bear on the free market. Uh, so I read this report, and I'm, I mean, I'm assuming there's something to it. Maybe we'll find out there's not. But if, if there is or not, I read this report, and I thought this is precisely the sort of thing that I do want government involved with, not the private editorial decisions of, of uh, free players within a free market, um, but government pressure and uh, influence. Uh, and if it, if that report is true, it's it's extremely alarming um, and it has to be addressed. Stephen, your take on it before I uh, switch us to another topic? Uh, yeah, I mostly agree with that, with the partial and limited exception that I don't know what to make of, which is you have these dominant network effects, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, let's just start a competitor to Twitter, which you know Trump has tried to do with Truth Social, it's very hard to do. And at some point, and this is the conceptual argument a lot of people are having, is hasn't Twitter, hasn't Google, haven't they become effectively like the phone company, which in that case is more of a public access type of uh, medium? I'm not entirely persuaded about that, but I don't think it's a frivolous argument either. Well, I don't think they're the phone company. I think they're the people you call. It's more equivalent okay. to having some sort of service that you can call. I am entirely happy to put common carrier rules on the phone company, to put it on the ISP from the street to your house, uh, to put it on the trunk lines that run between data centers and so on and so forth. But um, you know the the idea that the person on the other end of the phone, the one you call, should not be able to hang up, which is essentially mm. what I think people who want to regulate Twitter are suggesting. I just think it's wrong. And I think there are, there are almost no barriers to entry when it comes to this, which includes social media. I mean, if you go back 20 years, it was Friendster. Friendster got supplanted by MySpace, which was a big, bad monopoly <laughs> owned by Rupert Murdoch. And MySpace, if you read the press coverage at the time, was unbeatable. There's just no way that it could be uh, supplanted. And all of a sudden, Facebook came along and did it. Um, so I, I'm totally fine with the House uh, Republican um, I don't know which committee it would be, but advancing legislation that says, you know what, you know, Comcast cannot tell you you can't visit National Review. The mm. trunk lines between the data centers in Houston and data centers in Los Angeles cannot tell you that you can't visit Ricochet. Um, I don't want them telling, you know, John Gabriel what he has to do <laughs> yeah. in his job. I think there's a big difference between those things. MySpace, oh, for heaven. You know, I've still got on my stock from GeoCities, which I'm waiting to pay off at some point here. <laughs> well, I, I'm you such know, a you, traditional <laughs> conservative. I still use Betamax to watch movies at night. Oh, so. do you know? <laughs> now, there's something you mentioned. Uh, right there's, I'm having to move because I have a, a co-worker who's coming in. And I can't hear him. Can't. Poisonous. Violent stuff that I'm spewing here. When you were talking. Well, listeners, you can't see this. James is literally on the move oh. right now. Oh, hold on. 
we're moving. Oh, sorry about that. I just have to reconnect all my stuff here. Can you hear me now? We're, you're doing yes. fine, James. Yeah. Okay. Let me make beautiful, James. There we are. All right. I'm, I'm what? what was that? What was that? Charles? You sound beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when, you when you said it's like a telephone company, it's, it's, it's the people who were irritated on Twitter by Musk taking over said, uh, well, that's it. I'm going back to Tumblr, which is like quitting the, the telephone for the telegraph company. Although <laughs> Tumblr is now saying that they might allow a little bit of nudity back before the thing that uh, killed their, killed their platform a few years ago. Who knows? I don't think they're going back to Tumblr. I do know, however, that when I said I was going to introduce another topic quickly, the topic has to do with your loins and the comfort thereof. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll get to the loins in a second here, but I have to ask you, and yes, this is a commercial and you should be happy about that. The more commercials that we have on Rickshay, which means the more we prosper and thrive and not coincidentally, the more you get exposed to some good stuff that makes your life better, like Tommy John's. So you ever got stuck in a Black Friday crowd? It is super uncomfortable. Shopping Tommy John's before Black Friday sales, super duper comfortable. When you give your loved ones Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable too, so they can do everything well, better. That's right. Shop Tommy John's before Black Friday sale now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself with Tommy John's men and women's loungewear. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition for many. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John's. I don't know what's the deal with those other 3%. That's why Tommy John's doesn't just have customers. No, they have fanatics. I'm one of them. Partly for the just the durability of these things. You know, you you buy a lot of stuff. It just wears out a couple of times in the wash and it's dead. Man, I don't know what threads they use, but the Tommy Johns that I have have been going for years and they're still soft. And you can celebrate this softness season with the gift of Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. Every gift is backed by Tommy John's quote, best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free and quote guarantee shop Tommy John's before black Friday sale going on right now and get 20, Five two five twenty five percent off everything at TommyJohns.com slash ricochet. Twenty five percent off for a limited time only at TommyJohn.com slash ricochet. TommyJohn.com slash ricochet. See site for details. And of course, we do thank Tommy John for sponsoring this Ricochet podcast. Now, before I go on here, I have well, no, actually, I am technically going on. I have to do what Rob would do. Rob would tell you that uh, the thing about Ricochet is it's not just one of those websites, like Charlie mentioned before, Friendster, MySpace, you know, where it's just a bunch of chattering electrons. No, Ricochet is about people, and frequently we get together and meet. The meetups are fun. They're great. And, but okay, where are they exactly, you ask? Well, when you join ricochet.com, you will know. You'll find out all the places where you can go and meet people, and you can get them to come to you. Example, there's a group meeting on the National Review Cruise at November 12th to the 19th. Got a meetup scheduled in Pittsburgh, December 10th and 11th, Sarasota, Florida in January, uh, Vacaville, California, and New Orleans later in the year. Go to the site, find the details. But if that ought to tell you something, those are places where people in Ricochet get together in person, which makes it different from every other site like Ricochet is. You're probably thinking about, eh, yeah, I'd like to go, but meetups are, I don't know, it's too far away. It's a big country. Money's tight. Listen, if the meetups are out of reach, why don't you join Ricochet and start one yourself and Ricochet will come to you. Now, I don't mean that there'll be a bunch of guys in uniforms with blue R's on their forehead who will show up <laughs> zombie like at your doors and clamber over your security systems. No, I mean, you pick a place and you meet the folks that you've been talking to on the site. I love them. I went to the last one in New York. I got COVID and I loved them. I'd still go back again. <laughs> the details in the Ricochet meetups go to HTTPS 
Do we have to say that anymore? Uh, ricochet.com yeah. slash events or find the module in the sidebar on the site. And there you go. So that is what you ought to do. And you ought to join Ricochet too, because, well, it's self-evidently one of the more interesting places in the web. I don't say that as a guy who just, you know, does the podcasts and then uh, walks away whistling. I go there every night. I go to the member feed and there's lots of interesting stuff that's not on the main page where you get to talk to people. It's It's been 10 years and I still haven't found any place like it. So before we go, Stephen and Charles, uh, here's a question some people are saying. If the Republicans retake Congress, it's time to impeach Joe Biden. <laughs> Good idea, bad idea, justified, unjustified. What do you say? I think it's probably a bad idea, except it might be a device to simply make the Biden administration do nothing, which wouldn't be bad. I mean, if you're having impeachment uh, trials, that means you're not confirming judges. You're not doing a lot of other mischief. That's the only upside for it, I think. Uh, otherwise, I think it's uh, likely to be a net negative for Republicans. Charles? Well, I think Biden should be impeached. Mm -hmm. knew was mm -hmm. illegal and i think we should impeach presidents who commit impeachable offenses but we're not going to because there aren't going to be you know 70 republicans in the senate which is what you would probably need to achieve it i don't understand what you mean he he got that student loan thing passed by two couple of votes that's right those <laughs> couple of votes where he and his wife having yeah. dinner and talking about it she was against it actually i read in the washington post so she has better sense than he does but no, we're not going to do it. So I don't know why we would go through the rigmarole. I think Republicans would probably be better off making their positive uh, case for why they should be handed unified control in 2024 than they would trying to impeach someone who can't be impeached. Well, I hate the idea of everybody coming in and impeaching the last guy, impeaching the guy. I just, an endless series of that is bad. On the other hand, you hate to see, as Charles said, something that was illegal get away with, but, uh, you know, we've all held our nose and looked away about those things for a long time. What becomes an endless cycle of recrimination and impeachment is probably not good. No, make the case, as you said, for unified control of the government, which, as we know, means the end of our democracy. Democracy consists of a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House of Representatives, <laughs> and progressives installed in every single administrative, bureaucratic, technocratic part of the country. That is democracy. The minute you start to fracture that with outside ideas, you're talking something that would make Solzhenitsyn probably just turn pink, blue, and, you know, keel over with nausea. <laughs> just is. Hey, uh, I want to tell you this, that the podcast, which you are listening to, which is now over, but you can't turn it off yet. No, because I have to tell you, it's Boland Branch, it's Policy Genius, it's Upside, it's Tommy John that has helped us make it this far, and they sponsored our podcast. If you investigate what they can provide for you, your life will be measurably better. And if you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as I've been saying for 617 episodes, okay, 517, Rob and Peter were doing it for a while before I joined, uh, we'd like that. And I would like at some point my, my over 500 requests to bear fruit. That'd be great. Uh, are you going to be the guy who does it? You? You're going to be the gal who's doing it? Listen to this? You could be. Anyway, do it. Uh, it helps listeners discover the show, which helps ricochet, et cetera, et cetera. And then on we go into 2022 and 2024 and beyond. If you haven't been to Ricochet, go there. You'll see why we love it. You'll sign up. It's cheap. And uh, you'll meet Charles, probably, hanging around somewhere, uh, commenting somewhere under... A, you'll meet Stephen, probably, you know, Stephen. Uh -huh. I, I don't know what your gnome do uh, internet is, but, uh, you know, it's possible, right? <laughs>
I'm just waxing up my surfboard for Tuesday. That that's what I'm up to right now. So. What are you talking about? You t- you're surfing on you, you what? The wave election, Charles. The, uh, is that Charles? Uh, uh, James. Wow, sorry. I didn't even say anything, <laughs> yeah. and I still got yeah. criticized. It's just like being on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is all right go uh, uh go forth charles and enjoy your blue check while you can uh as will i Stephen. we'll see you all on twitter but we'll see you all on ricochet in the comments that is ricochet 4.0 gentlemen it's been a pleasure i hope to see you next week but you know we'll see you down the road right, bye bye james ricochet join the conversation